Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of the fourth season of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. As you'll know we take a different theme each season and this season we're going with genre uh, and we're taking five different genres and spending ten weeks at a time looking at them um, having looked at directors and actors beforehand um, and we're starting off this season with martial arts genre so we'll be speaking more about that later on with this week's film. We always start each episode two weeks now rather than each week with a discussion of what else we've been watching that week. So Rob what else have you watched? Um, well, I've been actually cracking through the movies in the last uh, uh, two weeks. I've been really kind of catching up on movies I missed last year and missed over the last few years. I'm making a real mission this year to try and clear some of my backlog of watch movies. Um, but I'm going to talk about the one that I actually watched today. Anyone who knows this show for a long time knows that I have a, a deep love of the Western genre, um, every sort of version of it. And I'm really enjoying the kind of the very recent sort of resurgence of, of Western movies that they're not all like in, in not, not the level it used to be not only not the sort of the the blockbusters they used to be but they're out there and they're really good and i want to talk about one i watched today by director ty west who's more renowned for horror movies shall we say he's done vhs movies he did cabin for two he's done that kind of movies he's made a movie 2016 called in a valley of violence which is sort of starring ethan hawke um, but with brilliant support from John Travolta, Tissy Famiga, um, Karen Gillan from Doctor Who pops up as, as somebody. Essentially, if you've seen John Wick, it's like John Wick in a Western. Ethan Hawke is a, a drifter, a traveler, a man on the road who gets waylaid by a sort of rundown town and the gang who runs it. And the movie is his bloody revenge on them. So it's it's a violent movie. It's a very violent movie. It's a very sort of brutal movie, but it's beautifully shot. It's so well acted. For movies like this that could just devolve into, into violence and gore, this doesn't. And a lot of that rests on the shoulder of Ethan Hawke and even Don Travolta, who brings a certain something to the role. Um, he is hit and miss in his later years, but he, I really enjoyed him in this. I thought he was brilliantly cast in this. So yeah, if you haven't checked it out, it wasn't a big film. It didn't make a huge sort of splatter it landed. Um, but if you can find it, I believe it's streaming somewhere on Prime currently. Um, it's called In a Valley of Violence. Right. What about you, Sam? Well, I haven't watched anything in the way of films in the past couple of weeks. I have been getting on board with the latest big budget TV series from the BBC, which is their version of Le Miserable. Um, and I have to say, I've only really been drawn to this because of the talent involved, it's got Tom Shackman, Daniel Actor, David Yellowo, Dominic West, Olivia Coleman, um lots of people that I was I was attracted to, um Henry Lloyd Hughes as well, who's been good in other things as well. Um but I, and and this is not something that I know very much about. I haven't seen the film, I haven't seen the yeah stage production, I don't know anything about it. Um, I know some of the songs because, well, who doesn't? Uh, but, it, yeah, it, it was it, it, it was new to me in many ways. Um, and it was incredibly depressing. And I sort of, 
Well, I was intrigued by the first episode and then wanted to keep on watching. And I watched the second one when I wasn't feeling particularly well. And it sort of tipped me over the edge. Um, and it, <laughs> um, I think it may have done bad things to me. Because the second episode is about um, desertion and and the, the travails of parenthood and... Um, one woman being betrayed by other characters and it was just it it was all a bit heavy for someone who wasn't feeling particularly good so uh, against my better judgement I've been watching Les Miserables and I will carry on watching it now that I'm in a more solid frame of mind yes yes fever, fever dreams as Sam was ill watching these movies yeah I did for a sidebar moment. I remember at university, um, I used to have a module that was horror movies, and the screenings for them were eight a.m. in the morning because it's the only time you get to the cinema. I remember going in one day horrendously hungover, beyond hungover, and having to sit through watching the original Japanese Ring movies, um, and just like dissolving into bizarre hallucinations. And, and I never quite got over that experience. I must say. So this week, guys, as Sam has said, we are carrying on with our season looking at martial arts movies um, and we are picking up from last week we're moving into the 1930s now and we are picking up with a film and i'm going to absolutely butcher the name here guys um, but it's called jiro kiri the rat in its english translation the original i believe is otsuri jiro kiri koshi江戸全市民の喝采を博した意味を根津美小僧こと虫食い根津美の二郎吉が、その断罪防止私所によれば大正名を旗本を霞むこと九十九件、金円累計七千九百三十一両。しかし重なる悪事の次第に身辺危険を
is a samurai first enters the barber shop at the beginning when Jurikichi is going to see uh, her brother. He's he's only filmed from the waist down, and there's something in in that that makes the audience feel inferior. Mm. And, I, and I quite like that. I like the way that we were we were put on the level of of, of the the viewers are put on the level of those in the barber shop. Um, I'm not... Hmm. I suppose I'm, I'm sort of drawn to your um, ideas about not really wanting to watch another film about bad people because I just thought, like, why... I mean, Chirikishi's just a bit of an asshole. Like, wh- why do we care? Um, and I thought, at, at the beginning, I thought, when, when he wasn't violent at the start and he gave the purse back, I thought that that was something good and he was he was known as Chirikishi throughout, but actually he wasn't. He was a good guy. He was a Robin Hood figure. Um, and then it turns out he wasn't. And I thought we were supposed to side with him and... Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Although having having said that, it it was interesting that as we saw in Orochi last week, it seems that these early martial arts films are all about ambiguity. They aren't sort of the cut and dried hero and villain that you see in in later films. There's there's lots more ambiguity there. So I did I did enjoy the way that it began like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I, I think I'm probably more positive in the film than, than you seem to be. I, I did enjoy it. Um, I very much enjoyed um, especially some of the sort of the action scenes in it um, and some performances in it. Um, I think you're right. I think there's an element of it's something you sometimes struggle to identify and empathise with a, a character like this. But I think that's where we need to look at it in its context of what it is and when it was made. This film is as you know, it is a. I suppose it is in many ways he is a archetypal character. He is a mythical figure in in sort of Japanese um, law folklore, at least. So he's it's not about him being a, a well rounded character, about him ticking off the boxes of what the myth requires. Um, a close mm-hmm. as maybe sort of traditional morality play or even like kabuki theatre. Like we are looking at he he is a, he isn't a character in the way that we think of other movies as having characters, um, but I, I did enjoy it. I, did, I enjoyed some of the sort of the action scenes in it. I enjoyed the the way a lot of it was shot. Um, some of the uh, so I'll talk more about later. Maybe some of the some of the action scenes were shot, and some of the really beautiful shots towards the end, in which he's having his final showdown with the police. I thought they were really beautiful. But I agree. I think that the sometimes you kind of wanted you kind of want that the, the anti-hero to kind of at some point become a bit more hero than anti mm. um and this film purposely never strode towards that you know the police were the bad guys and it, you're down amongst the sort of the mire of men at this point and it wasn't it wasn't as kind of uplifting and sort of even Orochi felt like at the end had like a, you know even though it was like a downer moment for himself. The movie itself went out on kind of like a yeah satisfying satisfying inclusion, like a big moment. Yeah, and this kind of robbed you of that. Even with its post sort of movie credit of saying he was captured and hung a few years later, it kind of undercuts anything in his movie. But then, as a you and me are coming at this with context without a context that would have been evident to the um, audience at the time. I suppose so. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure why, why the film ended like that, and why the film ended with mm. that sort of blunt presentation of Jurakichi's death. Like, what, what was the point of this film? If that's how it I mean, that having done a bit of research on that, these a lot of these films um, were closer to morality plays at the time, so they were intended to be instructional and have strong morals, and so the end title was intended to prove crime doesn't pay i see yeah it was in, it was intended to be that kind of like he chirikichi can't he can't triumph and win because that's not how we want society to work and so whilst the movie ends him heroically at some point it has to be undercut because otherwise it wouldn't get the release that it clearly has Actually, i should just read my own notes because i've written that down making sure our audience gets messages. reading notes yeah. helps yes yes <laughs> so we can't just wing this yeah yeah but I do want to talk about there in my little review, but one thing that really struck me is in that very first very first fight in which they are on on the boat and they're trying to catch Yoshi mm. and they, they call on the wrong man, there's an amazing couple of shots in sort of the rough and tumble fight when you are very much in that fight. Yeah. I know I know last last episode I, pl- I pra- praised Orochi for how the way it pulled back and gave you that locked off shot showing the whole fight. And that was brilliant because it showed off the mastery of the samurai. Whereas here, it isn't about the samurai, it's about that rough and tough. You're right in there, the camera is right in there. It's so evocative, like modern, like shaky cam, I suppose. And that feeling, we talked about it when we did, we did the Bourne series, about having that handheld camera right in the action gives you a feeling of immediacy, gives you a feeling of being right there in the moment. And it was, I mean, it's amazing to me to see that kind of, same kind of work back in 1931 that kind of feeling of like strap the camera to a person, take it into the fight, get it knocked around. And you get that feeling of, of, of action and immediacy with it. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I, I also noticed that there was a, there's a moment later in the film when, um, Jukichi is agreeing to take the money back from Akino. And there's, there's a similar sort of circling camera moment, sort of innovative mm. in, in a sort of, Strap, strap the camera to a guy and, and get him walk, walking around because this is a pivotal moment. So they, you have that link there between the opening fight scene and then this scene of great emotional turmoil towards the end. You think that's... I mean, the director didn't have to do that. I mean, mm. n- no, he didn't have to do that in the fight scene at all, but it, having done that, you could have thought, OK, we'll just rest in his laurels and then film the rest of it straight as it were, but no, yes, no, he yeah. didn't. And he took the time to actually link those two like that. And I think that, I mean, I think often, I think, I mean, I always say I come at these uh, sort of older movies with some sort of element of prejudice in my own heart, but often you think, well, you know, these films probably had that, you know, that kind of, they use lighting, the obviously we've seen that a lot in these films, you talk about these bright lighting, these interesting lighting to tell stories. But this was the first film where I really saw the use of camera work and the use of editing to tell the story. Mm. Um, and I really, really know that. And the scenes later on where you, even though it's silent, the the, the rhythmic cutting um, of the movie with drum shots, at some point you build a tempo. You really start building a tempo in the, in, in the sort of, but in the end scenes when the, when the police are turning up and they're um, holding their, their big lanterns. There's beautiful shots, these, these hundreds of lanterns coming in out of the darkness. Mm. But it's cutting away where it starts. You, you see, it's like a build. You get these sort of dum 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 as the cuts come, and it builds like a drum beat. And obviously, yeah, there, there were there were intercut shots of of drums beating. 
And I felt that that really worked. That really, really worked for me. You get the visual of the drums beating, the cutting of uh, on the beats. And so you felt like you were, uh, the, the, the film was setting up this, this kind of rhythm. And I really, really got on board with that at the end. And and especially when um, when Jirokichi is pursued by the, the policemen who come out of the shadows with the lights and that mm. every turn another street gets blocked off. And there, there was something really clever about the way that it, those lights always appeared. He always saw those lights before we did and turned in another direction. And then you see the viewer sees what he's had to turn away from. So mm. it, it felt like we, it felt like the, the policemen were closing in on him, but also like we were part of that as well, part of the viewing experience. And I think, I mean, that's one of the things that I felt watching the movie. It, it was a strange experience. Um, and it, it harkened back to a, another film experience that I actually had with, with you when we were teenagers of watching The Usual Suspects, where everyone raves about it and you weren't sure why until the last five minutes. Mm. And this felt the same. Like, like He's this great thief. This, and you're like, I just don't see it. It's mostly him sitting around talking to people. And then at the end, that scene where he's going through the streets and like, you suddenly see why he is who he is. You know, he's slipping from shadows and shadow. He's moving and he, he hides. And, I mean, and it, that film felt like the pay, that, that scene felt like the payoff yeah. of everything being built away with this movie. Actually, you've you've taught me around, but I I didn't really think I'd in, I didn't really think I'd enjoyed it that much. But actually, in <laughs> retrospect, maybe, maybe this this film has stayed with me more than more than I thought I had. I I think certainly went through a roller coaster with the movie. I think. About halfway through, I was just like, I'm not sure this is a good pick, Sam. Um, I, I was questioning doing it about halfway through um, because it does, uh, it kind of has a, a good start and a good end, but the middle certainly dipped towards um, being a bit dull at times, certainly for me. But for me, I felt like it paid off in the end, but I do see why people wouldn't stick with it. There was something I've, I've written down, actually, that Aquino, the one of the one of the two girls that he's stringing along um but Aquino is the one that he goes to later on and her father is the the sick guy mm. um who is a a former samurai and it was interesting that when they were talking about him first of all someone in passing just said oh yeah you know he's he's obviously a gambler because that's obviously what samurais are and well, that mm. was a really interesting perspective because he, he I mean there were all these presentations of samurais as great warriors and and fighters and men of honor and then actually no this this was a this was an admission that samurai were just chances and gamblers and it's kind of something that you get sort of hinted at things like Seven Samurai later on but it, it, it was it was good to have that that there to have that understanding that that's what a samurai was no I I, I, I I agree I think it was it was an interesting contrast to last week's movie certainly where obviously it was similar sort of in many ways it was similar sort of bones of the story of this kind of wandering character uh, whereas last week it was a man of his honour, a, a samurai, and this was already very the other end of the, of the spectrum. Mm. Um, and they, um, it, I enjoyed the, kind of the contrast of those two movies. I mean, they're only what five years apart. Yeah, um, but I enjoyed that the kind of difference there. I just think, well, linking the two, they were 
I mean, they're both sort of fairly nihilistic in their their endpoint, their outlook, mm. saying that there's there's really no happiness possible. And even before that sort of um, note about his death, right at the end, you have him sort of telling Akino to go and giving giving her money and setting her off in a chair because he knows that she can't stay with him. And you think, mm. well happiness is not possible and that's something that you had right the way through Orochi as well that does seem to be something that certainly this end of the century is is endemic to martial arts films yeah I think that was it's of odd coming from the modern day when that kind of getting the girl and having the hero moment is so ingrained in our idea of story mm. that, that the idea that the hero needs reward at the end um and and he gets what he what he deserves or desires and these films very much go against that i mean even at the end when jiggy turns up to kind of rescue on his rescue mission he's like i'm not here for you i'm here for the money and yeah he's he's being truthful he, he is there for the money um and it, it's interesting way like the he doesn't have that moment like oh, you know what I'll, I'll grow grow a kind of some sort of conscience he doesn't have that he just kind of same same person who he is the sort of a start and who he says he is is who he is at the end it was a really interesting film Rob do you have any it's it's not very fair I know but for a film in 1931 do you have any connections thematic I, or otherwise I do I do have t- some connections um, two I've got two, two recommendations both on a similar sort of theme um, one um you will see clearly straight away the link, and um, one's a little more uh, buried. But first of all, is the nineteen ninety eight film Ronin. It stars Robert De Niro. It stars um, Sean Bean. It stars um, Jean Reno. Natasha. <laughs> Sorry, stars Jean Reno. Um, and it's a tale of ex CIA um, people getting involved in sort of in, in a theft um, and the fallout thereof. And my second recommendation. I'm going to do both of them and then explain why. My second recommendation is the 1981 movie Escape from New York, starring Kurt Russell from John Carpenter. Both of these movies feature lead characters who don't have a resolving moment. They don't have a moment in which they kind of turn good. They don't have a moment in which they kind of grow a conscience and you know have an epiphany and become a good person. They kind of they start off a bad person, they end the bad person. There is some moments of growth in there, there's certain moments of change and they overcome obstacles, certainly. But they don't have a moment in which they suddenly become a heartfelt good guy, a swell guy, one of the one of the heroes. They they are anti-heroes through and through. And I was really kind of drawn to that idea watching uh Jericho the Rat, of this idea this this guy who is he's an anti-hero and he remains one. He isn't anti-hero who grows conscience, he isn't one who grows the idea of being a better person. He just this is who I am, who I am at the start, is who I am at the end. So those are my two. Escape from New York and Ronin. Both brilliant films, both worth your time. Brilliant. Sam, do you have some for us? Yes, I have two. Now, the first one is a bit of a reach. Um, but later in his career, the director, Ito, also worked with the cinematographer Kazuo Miyagawa, who worked on one of Rob's favourite films. And so my first recommendation this week is a film that we've talked about before on the podcast, and it, it's worth another mention. It's 1950s Rashomon. 
Ruben Kirikou style. Secondly, is a thematic connection. And um, it must have been at least six months, so it's time for me to mention this again. Um, the sort of closing in police chase at the end reminds me very much of the end of one of my favourite films, 1969's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So those are my two recommendations this week. Rashomon, which we've already seen, although I suppose and it will be interesting going back to that seeing how the martial arts genre has developed mm-hmm. in the 19 years since um, and then a film that's not in this genre at all but just it, it was a chance for me to mention it again Butch Cassidy I think we have to be honest here about the fact that our recommendations sometimes are just a chance of us to talk about films we like and then we, we, yeah. we, we post justify why we're talking about them <laughs> I, I fully accept that right. so that's it this you guys for our talk on um Jericho the Rat hope you enjoyed it next week we are moving ahead another decade we're moving into the 1940s and we're bringing it back round to a director who we've talked about before and who Sam's literally mentioned five minutes ago Akira Kurosawa so whilst on his month in season three we didn't look at his very first film we looked at his first sort of solo film we looked at that we are now going to kind of cross the streams and pick up with his very first film ever Sanshiro Trugata which is uh, otherwise known as Judo Sama, was the very first film by a Kirikosawa, released in 1943. So we'll be watching that um, next week, two weeks later, and we shall hopefully see you there. In the meantime, you can get us both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can get just me at Rob Kaju. And you can find me at Life underscore Academic. And we'll see you guys in two weeks.